and welcome to another episode of the Shelf Care Interview. I'm Sarah Hunter, with an H, that will be important later, editor of the Books for Youth and Graphic Novel sections at Booklist Magazine. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of talking with Sarah Pennypacker, that is without an H, about the sequel to her critically acclaimed 2016 novel, Pax, Pax Journey Home, which is out today. Special thanks to HarperCollins Children's Books for sponsoring this podcast. So let's say hello to Sarah. Sarah Pennypacker is the author of the number one New York Times bestselling Pax, the award-winning Clementine series and its spin-off series, Waylon, and the acclaimed novels, Summer of the Gypsy Moths and Here in the Real World. She divides her time between Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and Florida. You can visit her online at www.sarahpennypacker.com. Thank you for being here, Sarah. Let's dive right in. Hey, hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Pax Journey Home. Well, I, I never planned to write it. I felt that Pax ended in a way that allowed readers to imagine what happened in the next few hours or the next few days for themselves. And I liked that. But I got so many letters from kids really, really wanting to talk about what would happen next in the book. And I was fine with that. I expected that. But what I didn't expect was that I wouldn't be able to stop thinking about what happened next also. So I had a little talk with my agent. I was saying, I said just what I told him. I was like, everybody wants to know. And I said to him, of course, I do know what happens next. I've really thought about it. And he asked me what, and I talked to him. And after a while, we both realized, oh, wow, I have a book. (laughs) (laughs) And my editor agreed, you really need to write that. So I didn't mean to write it, but now I'm so glad that I have I'm so glad that that came back for me. It was a a real honor to speak for foxes Hmm. and a real pleasure to do it a second time. It was, you know, I hadn't, I didn't have to do as much research this time. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like I was back in a world that was such a treat to enter. That's wonderful. So we talked a little bit about this before we started, but so much of your book deals with healing from trauma. Yes. Which isn't a very common topic in books for this age group. Right. How do you approach writing about trauma for kids? Well, we all have trauma. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not that trauma doesn't belong at all. What I have to keep remembering and what I was really conscious of anyway, is that kids have so few resources for dealing with trauma. They don't have much experience with it. You know, it could be the first time they don't have the resources that we have, such as experience, or sometimes they don't have enough support. They're lucky if they do, but they, and they don't have financial resources. It's, it's new to them. And sometimes they, you know, they, to protect themselves, they make what look, what turn out to be errors. Okay. I don't want to even say that they're mistakes, but for instance, Peter's been wounded. He's had a lot of loss and of Mm -hmm. course he withdraws. And of course he thinks the only way to protect himself is to harden himself. So I just wanted to be really careful about not portraying him as making mistakes, but as this is what he feels he needs to do. And let's respect that for a while. Yeah, and it is really notable in the book that the people who sort of question the way he's dealing with his trauma don't push him in any particular direction. Nobody is very right. like hard or instructive. They sort of let him come to his own conclusions about what's going to be the best way for him to move forward in his life. 
Right. And it might be because he doesn't have the, a mom or a dad who would be close enough that they might inter, interfere in a really in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly his mom would have had a talk with him about stuff. So, no, it's better that, that they seem to know that he's, he's on a path and trust him, you know, and, and certainly uh, it's just true that an animal can sometimes break through, which is what I wanted to explore. And there's a lot of other healing in the book too. It's not just Peter. Right. We've war damages, war wounds, Mm -hmm. land and people and animals. So I I thought it was really great for me to have an opportunity to not leave the book during a war. Pax, we left and the war was still going on. So Mm -hmm. damage was still occurring. I really appreciated the chance to go back and say, okay, this happens. What can we do about it? And, mm-hmm. and take a look at some of the positive things that we can do. Yeah. I'm thinking back about something you said when we were talking about Peter and how the people in his life have to trust him to figure out for himself how to heal to a certain extent. And I'm wondering if you think about that with readers too. You, I feel like you put a lot of trust in your readers with this book. This book does not talk down to children at all. And I, and I wonder if you, if you think about your readers in a particular way when you're writing a book like this? I've said this before. I don't think I've, well, I, I haven't said it to you, but I would really <laughs> like to say this. Um, when I was beginning the Clementine series, I was lucky enough to hear a quote that changed the way I wrote. The quote was from Carl Jung. He was asked, why is there evil in the world? And his answer was, there's evil in the world when people can't tell their stories. And that just knocked me out. I like to say I rang like a tuning bell. (laughs) I knew that was meant for me to hear. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it. I thought, okay, what I need to take from it is no longer will I write for children in the sense of for meaning, here you go, here's a present, I I gift this book to you, Mm -hmm. you receive it. Mm -hmm. I write for children, because kids don't have what it takes to be able to tell a story. They often don't. Mm -hmm. You need a powerful voice, you need a great narrative language skills. You need a platform and you need an audience. Mm-hmm. And thanks to people like Booklist, I have a platform and an audience. And I happen to have been blessed with a narrative voice and a powerful enough voice. So I decided, okay, from now on, all my books have to speak for children in the sense that I have to take their place. Whatever I say, it better not be talking to them saying, here's what you should do, yeah. but saying, this is how it feels. This is what I'm trying. Mm-hmm. So it was a really big difference for me. And I, I take it seriously. So anyway, I think that Peter would do those the things. Mm-hmm. And if people are trusting him, I think what they know is that they will fail. Instead of hardening yourself to the world, it's fail. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to succeed, but don't worry because something or someone is going to get in. We are built to open ourselves up, I think. So tell me a little bit about what inspires your writing in general. Well, one thing that inspires it is, although I haven't done this for half now, is going out and talking to kids. I talk about the book. Mm-hmm. So kids are talking to me afterwards. And I'm just always so amazed at how brave they are. I could be talking, for instance, during PAX, when I was touring with PAX, we were talking about terrible things about re- refugees and animals being abandoned and all this stuff. And over and over and over, kids said to me some form of what can we do to help? Mm. Instead of what can we do? 
which some adults will say about large problems. Kids generally said, what can we do and meant it. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole inspiration behind my book here in the real world, which is really a book about ways that different ways that people, even kids without resources can help, can do things. So I would say that inspires me. But what it really takes for me to write a book is two things. I need to have imagined a character that would that character be real, I would take a bullet for. Mm. And then there really does have to be some sense of injustice. Something has to get me steamed up. Hmm. So I, at the time of Pax, I was steamed up about kids and animals, the price they pay for wars that Hmm. they are never really engaged in or even asked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then here in the real world, I just wanted to to talk a little bit about uh, healing and getting better and trying again. How have libraries played a role in your reading or writing life? One thing I loved about my library is I was a quiet kid. I just did not like chaos. I didn't like shouting. And I remember how much I loved the library because you weren't allowed to do those things. <laughs> finally, finally, these, these you know, kids in my, in my school and my life, you know, had to be quiet. <laughs> so I really loved that. I've always loved libraries, but that was one weird reason. Another reason was that it seemed to me that everything else in my life had a limit or a, a boundary. Like you can go in the store, you can help choose dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. It's either hamburger or chicken, whatever, you know, <laughs> or, um, or you may get two pair of socks for school or something. <laughs> but with libraries, I never had that feeling. It was like, as much as you want, whatever you want. Hmm. So I love that. I will tell you that today, one thing that still moves me, I have to apologize to librarians, is when I'm in a library, which I I do frequently, um, if I overhear or see a librarian say to a child, I think you will like this book. I start to, I just choked up now. (laughs) I have to wait a minute. It makes me cry. (laughs) It never fails to make me cry. I guess because I've now been 25 years a writer. Hmm. I have known a lot of librarians. I've known a lot of stories about how important that is, that some person knows the child, knows what's going on in the reader's life, and knows the book, mm-hmm. that, and knows those three things, puts them together. Mm. Tears, I can't <laughs> handle it. So, I mean, I still love my library. I'm very sad. I haven't been inside a library. I haven't been in. We're still being super careful. Mm. Um, I have not been inside. It's great that I can borrow books without going inside, but I miss going inside. So when you're not writing, uh, what mm-hmm. do you like to read? What do I like to read? I I love historical fiction for Mm -hmm. adult historical fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll read that over and over. And I think what I like about it, I realize this, I did write an adult book once and it was historical fiction, Mm -hmm. was the sense that the audience brings to it that, oh, no, I already know what happens. Oh, no, war's about to break out. Don't, (laughs) you know, go out on that dock in Pearl Harbor. That kind of built-in tension. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love um, the historical fiction that that brings me to to the world that people I knew were in, like my grandparents or my parents' world. Mm-hmm. So 
I like that. Um, when I'm writing, I am very careful not to read anything in the genre that I'm writing. Mm. So I'm kind of, I've been writing novels for kids for several years now. It seems I quit the, the last Whalen, which was not a novel, a chapter book really, was now several years ago. Mm-hmm. It's got to be five, six years. I haven't really read much of my favorite genre, which is mid-grade novels. Mm. I'm just trying not to be influenced. Are there any any middle-grade titles you return to when you do read it? I know that on my my list that I want to go back and read for at least a third time is Okay for Now. Mm. Love that. Um, mm-hmm. I just pulled out Joan Bowers' Hope Was Here. I love that book. Mm. Um, the The about the girl in the diner. Do you know that book? No, I don't think I do. She's with her aunt. Yeah. Her aunt's a short order cook and they have to go to this town. They don't want to go to and uh, start working in a diner. It's beautiful. Hope was here. I would read because of Win Dixie once a year. I'll tell you that. I think I'd read anything of hers once a year. Yeah. It has been lovely talking about books with you. I think that's about all we have time for today. Thank you again for telling us about PAX. It's a great resolution to the first book. It, it's a nice bookend yeah. to the story. I encourage everybody to go out and read it. Well, can I give a little teaser on it? Can I just say for me to be able to go back in the world of the foxes was just wonderful anyway. Mm. But oh my gosh, to be able to write about fox kits, <laughs> I, it's a little spoiler, but you'll see it on the cover of the beautiful cover that John Classen did for this book Mm -hmm. that Pax has a kit and he loves the kit very much, but eh, kit gets in some trouble. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I will just warn everybody, don't in your life go start watching videos of Fox kits because you'll lose days and weeks and um, (laughs) oh my gosh, they're just so, uh, they're so marvelous and adorable. And it was a joy. It was a joy for me. Yeah. They are so cute. Cute and funny mm-hmm. and curious. So yeah, that's the last thing I would want to say is um, what a joy for me. And I hope for the readers too to go back into the world of foxes, mm-hmm. to see the world through a wild animal and especially through mm-hmm. a very young wild animal. <laughs> that was a real treat for me. I hope for the reader. Yeah. You do get a sense of them tumbling around a lot and playing, which I think is really fun too. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for asking great questions and letting me talk a little. Yes. And thank you again for that great conversation. And thanks also to our sponsor, HarperCollins Children's Books, for making this podcast possible. Happy reading. Happy reading.